This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson Weber, and my guests are four artists involved with the production of It's a Wonderful Life, Live at the Biograph. Uh, they are Gwendolyn Whiteside, who is a producing artistic director at American Blues Theater, the company uh, producing the show. She also plays Mary Bailey. Kevin R. Kelly, um, who plays George Bailey, and John Merline. Who, <laughs> did you, you threw me off with that. Yeah. With that. Should I just say Merline? <laughs> Merline's fine. And John Morline, who plays Potter and Clarence. <laughs> Finally, we have Sean Gowdy, who is the Foley artist. And one thing we're going to talk about is the marvelous sound effects that are part of the show. So I think, Gwendolyn, it would make sense if you could just explain for the two people in Chicago who don't know what this show is, sure. what the show is. Absolutely. Um, we are doing a live radio broadcast set in 1944. Uh, the retelling of the Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life. This started uh, as a staged reading with our company in 2002. We just did it as a one night, and we had a great time with the audience. And then we thought, well, let's do two nights next year. <laughs> we got big. And uh, so in 2003, we did a two or three nights. And um, then Damon Kiley, our former artistic director, asked if any ensemble member wanted to direct it and do a fully staged event of it and uh, Marty Higginbotham said that he would love to and then it started in 2004 as what is now a full theatrical production right and Marty added elements of audiograms and jingles from local businesses in the neighborhood and milk and cookies for every audience member and just little touches that really made it seem as a rip a broadcast from 1944. And uh, Mr. Moorline, uh, who plays uh, Potter and Clarence, has been doing this since 2002. He originated the role for us, and we're so lucky that we still have him. Eleven years later. <laughs> so the, the experience for the audience is you come in and you're now in the studio and there's an on-air sign, an applause sign, and everybody... Um, the cast, though, are in 1940s costumes, so they are playing 1940s actors who are going to now read this Correct. play. Correct. Um, and I think it, one thing I was wondering about as I sat there, I know the movie inside and out, love the movie, so that my experience of the play is three levels. There's you guys as actors in the studio, and each of you has a persona, I would say, as an actor. Then there's, and, and then many of you play multiple parts. So now I'm watching the actors take on these different roles. So that's interesting. Then there's the story that you're making just by telling it, which I am free to imagine as I wish, over which, overlaid over that, of course, are my memories of the movie. So that's what I point. wondered about is whether, um, it works if you've ever asked audience members who haven't seen the movie, or if there even are any. <laughs> yeah, there are. We get a lot of kids um, who have not seen the movie before their, their parents brought them to the event. Not only are they fascinated by the story, but mm. they are fascinated by the Foley because they've never even heard of radio plays <laughs> right, right. before. So to or see... Radio. Or radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and to see the sound effects being made really are entertaining for them. But I also, yeah. I think the story... I mean, you're right. It is very meta-theatrical. Um, but the story touches people on so many levels. One of the things that Marty did that was brilliant is he has the actors take the scenes out into the audience in that uh, when Kevin and I are playing George... 
and married, we don't look at each other. We don't have eye contact into the living mm. scene. We put our scene partner, if you will, out into the audience. So that helps the audience, even though they don't know it on sort of a subconscious level, um, I think fold in all those layers that you mentioned. So right. when they're watching Kevin deliver those lines, it's it's like he's delivering it to them. It's like Jimmy Stewart's delivering it to them, and their imagination is also delivered. It's like to being them. read to at yeah. that at that particular oh, level. Really, it's like having yeah. a story read to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard as an actor too, because usually you're feeding off of another actor. You're looking in their eyes and right. getting their information and and going off of them. We imagine what the look, the feeling that we're getting from the other actor just by hearing them on our sides while we're looking out in the audience. And it really is powerful because the audience really is, you're looking in the soul of the actor and the, in the soul of the character. Right, right. There's no, you don't get to fold in and sort of no. pretend, pretend there isn't an audience. Right. right. Um, One of the exercises that Marty had us do uh, a couple of years ago is we did a read-through of the script and had to... It's usually when you do a read through, it's around a table, it's a stage mm-hmm. reading. And he made us turn our chairs out so yeah. no one could see each other. Yeah. Um, just to say, hey, this is what it's going to be like when we actually perform at live. So get used to it. Right, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go to some of the Foley, uh, oh, well, actually, let me ask one question, Sean, because I introduced you as the Foley artist, but there are un- more than two people in Chicago who don't know what that is. <laughs> Sure. Uh, Foley artist is the traditional sound effects person for radio plays. Um, they're the ones that get to play with all the best toys. So you have the door and the thunder contraption and stepping in snow and breaking glass and typing on an old typewriter and, and all the things that really get to uh, paint the landscape. Mm. Um, so you have this, this beautiful story. And then what I get to do is I get to come through and just fill it with all these wonderful sounds that allow people to really just close their eyes and be there. And uh, it's it's wonderful. Well, except that they don't, I didn't close my eyes for one minute. And part, <laughs> of, and part of the fun of it is it's a little bit like a dance over here. I mean, uh, you know, you're sitting stage right. It's, it's like watching a percussionist or something. I mean, you're so busy there, at least in certain scenes. There are times when it seems like there's a sound effect. You're just, run, you know, making the circuit here over in this corner <laughs> of the stage. Um, so one question I have for you is, well, no, let's, let's go to the sound effects later. Let's talk just a little bit more about the show and then, and then, uh, actually hear some of the, the sound effects. One question I wanted to ask, ask the actors, and I'll start with John. Um, you have a choice to make which is whether you're going to impersonate the actor in the movie or whether you're not going to impersonate the actor in the movie. John, you made a very clear choice in my mind. As Potter, you are Lionel Barrymore <laughs> playing Potter. Um, would you agree with that? I hope I got that right. <laughs> um, somewhat. You so so you would say no. It sounds uh, like you just didn't want to show me. I up. remember when we first. <laughs> no, I think it's it's in. It's a really well written story yes, script story it is. of script and so forth, and I believe I know this is what happened. I mean, it just the first time we did it was a read through, like a film, and it came out just like that. Kind of, I remember. Uh, I, I thought. Uh, yes, uh, this this sounds a little like Simon Barr Sinister, who was a character in uh, one of those early Saturday morning cartoon shows when I was a kid, and and he, and he talked a little like that. Yeah. Uh, 
and that's 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 the real connection here because I didn't really at first thinking back on it think about Lionel Barrymore. I, I really didn't. I, I I thought of Simon Bar Sinister. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, they do sound similar well, now that I you mean, mention I'm it. I'm sure right. Simon Bar Sinister stole, you know, <laughs> right. imitated John Barrymore. Right, right. Or, uh, Lionel, Lionel mm-hmm. Barrymore. Right. It, it, like if you look at the script here right now, I mean, and if you let the rhythm of it and the, the melody that's in it, mm. in the words, I mean, it's it's a very comfortable voice. To, yeah, I have no no sweat switching <laughs> right into it. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah or, uh, same same. Well, I think that is that for any actor. That's what it is all about. Is that you have to put yourself into the role. You have to. You have to. Vern Pivenel used to say that you've got to take care of the words. You know? Yeah, and if yeah. you just keep hammering on on you know. The words over and over and over, it it will exhibit itself in your own form. Well, let me ask Kevin the same question. Do you have, probably you have the hardest job in that way to decide whether you're going to be Jimmy Stewart or not be Jimmy Stewart because it's so strong in so much of the audience's mind. Yeah, it is. And I think Marty, Marty Higginbotham, when he directed it and I stepped in the role four years ago, he just kept on stressing to make it, make it my own. Yeah. And it, and it was great. It's it's easier to do that. Put myself in that circumstance. Otherwise, we'd use, have yet another level. <laughs> right, and then I'm then I'm yeah. concentrating more on copying someone rather than making it my own and put myself in that. Situation. I'm more of the technical aspect rather than just right. living the role. Right, right. That makes and, sense. And. I can't compete against Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> right. You know? Nobody can do Jimmy Stewart better than he does. People so say that I do... fall into it, but it's, it's what John said. I mean, there's a rhythm in that era that people talk mm-hmm. to. It's a very heightened language. You, know, yeah. you, you tend to talk like this, you know, and, you know, it, it, you just fall right into that, you know, because that's what, yeah. right. And there was a rhythm mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, so at times you, you, you come across that way, but. That's really just the rhythm of that style. Right. You know? Well, it might be fun to do a scene now that has some sound effects and sort of move into talking about that a little bit. And I think you said there was one that uh, between Potter and George that would sure. work well. It's um, when Mr. Potter offers a job to George Bailey. Um, our Foley is not mic'd. Oh, so I'll go over there. I'll I hold think my. That's great. Yeah. So let's hear the scene and uh, some of the sound effects. Come in, come in, George. Have a seat, young man. Cigar? Uh, Thank you, sir. (laughs) Thank you, sir. You like it? I'll send you a box. Uh, Sorry, nice, yeah. Well... I suppose uh, I'll find out sooner or later, but just what exactly did you want to see me about? George, now that's just what I like so much about you. George, I'm an old man, and most people hate me, but I don't like them either, so that makes it all even. You know just as well as I do that I run practically everything in this town but the Bailey Building and Loan. You know also that for a number of years now I have been trying to get control of it, or kill it. But I haven't been able to do it. You have been stopping me. In fact, you have beaten me, George, and that takes some doing. Take during the Depression, for instance. You and I were the only ones who kept our heads. 
you saved the building and loan, and I saved all the rest. Yes, well, most people say you stole all the rest. The envious ones say that, George. Suckers. Now, let's look at your side. Young man, 27, 28, married, making, say, 40 a week. 45. 45. That's a little over $2,000 a year. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I would say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born. A young man, the smartest one in the crowd, mind you, has to sit by and watch his friends go places because he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters, do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? What's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is you're the only man in town who's licked me. I want to hire you. Manage my affairs, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes, a couple of business trips to New York, Maybe once in a while, Europe. You wouldn't mind that, would you, George? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else, are you? You know who I am, don't you? I'm George Bailey. Yes. George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has brains enough to climb aboard. Now, what about the building alone? Oh, confound it, man. Are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is that a deal, or isn't it? Mr. Potter, I, I know that I ought to jump at the chance, but I wonder if you might give me uh, uh, 24 hours to think about it. Sure, sure, sure. You go home and talk to your wife. Yeah, I'd like that. In the meantime, I'll drop the papers, and once they're all signed, we'll set you up in an office right across the hall for me. Right, right across the... No... No, I know right now the answer is no. No, doggone it. You sit around here and you spin your little webs and think that the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the vast configuration of things, I'd say that you're nothing but a scurvy little spider. Great. So, Sean, let's talk a little bit about what some of those sounds are and how you learn to make them. Is it is there like a uh, a regular setup that every foley artist has, or do you create your own for each show? And where did you learn to do this? And tell me a little bit about foley artistry. Um, well, I came into the show four years ago, and uh, I had already seen it for two years at that point, mm. <laughs> and uh, was I've I've always been a huge lover of radio plays and and, yeah. and just wonderful old radio shows, and. So watching Foley artists and the type of toys that they would have. And so I came into an already established set. And uh -huh. I've also been given uh, the beautiful opportunity to add bits and pieces over the past few years, too, as we've gone along. And uh, you really do. You just sort of play with different things and go, well, this sounds like that. That, oddly enough, sounds like that. So right. what if I just put it all together and we'll see what happens? So you do have uh, certain things that are very traditional. You have the doors is a staple of any radio show. Uh, shoes, both a pair of men's shoes and a pair of women's shoes, because they sound different. 
Um, well, so the door that you're using is really just a little mini door, but it <laughs> looks like a door. Yeah. It opens and closes. But yeah. then I remember, too, you have the suitcase that you did something with. What was that? I have the suitcase, which we use actually as a car door, so that you get car a little door. more of a, a heavier, hollow sound as opposed to the solid sound of a regular Right, because the closing. air being trapped is the same in both. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we also have the wind machine, which is a, a beautiful piece of classic theater as well. Um, I had somebody a couple of years ago approach us and say that the Lyric Opera still has one that they've had for over 100 years and is still fully operable. What is it? What is going around on that? It's a piece of canvas that is stretched across uh, a slat barrel of wood. And so you just have different pieces of wood that as you turn it, they're just rubbing against the canvas. And uh, over the years, too, I've started loosening pieces of the canvas and tightening other pieces of the canvas. And it's become... Uh, an instrument in and of itself. Mm. I know certain places to put my hand on the canvas to raise or lower pitch. Uh, I know different speeds I can change to fever the wind or make it something nice and delicate or dark and ominous. And, And it's amazing how that one piece of machinery has so many possibilities. One of my favorite sound effects is the sound of footsteps in the snow. Are you willing? Can, are you able to bring it over sure, here? Sure, I'll grab that. And while um, Sean is getting the footsteps in the snow, is there any consequence for you as actors of the involvement of the foley? Does it? Is there anything that you have to do, be aware of, or does it just happen completely separately and independently? We, um, before we begin a scene, we, as actors, check in with each other. Um, Even if it's just briefly making eye contact and alerting each other, okay, here we go, because Mm. it's the last time that we're actually going to be able to look into each other's eyes. Right. So for me, for example, some of my characters have uh, the first line of the scene. So to make sure that the timing is correct with Sean and I, we um, lock eyes and he'll give me a little wink. And then <laughs> and, and you get the timing down. So for example, um, I have two different scenes with cricket sounds yeah. before I speak. And so we know the timing of that based on eye contact, a wink, and a wrist movement. <laughs> so there's so, sort of some conducting going yeah, on, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And, there is that scene with the, uh, when I come in, I'm looking for Clarence, and I'm walking in the snow, and it, this was added this past year, where Sean just had an idea, said as, as I'm wandering, screaming out for Clarence, the steps of the snow. And I so see. every time I was taking steps, looking around, he would add a step in, and it just gave me goosebumps, and it really helped me as an actor get into that role. So let's let's uh, hear the footsteps. And so, what is that, Sean? Uh, this is a really worn down burlap sack, uh, some ever like staling popcorn, and uh, some popped popcorn bags. or unpopped popcorn. Popped popcorn. Popped popcorn. And what was the third thing? And some cellophane bags. Cellophane bags. And uh, yeah, combined, you get a good crunch and a good run in the <laughs> Well, that brings up an interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about as much, which is because you as actors are only using your voices, basically. You're not walking. You're not interacting physically. When, for instance, Sean does the footsteps in the snow, are you picturing George Bailey Going through the snow, mm-hmm. you are. So you're yeah, imagining I picture, the physicality. Yeah, I mean, I just what I it just enhances like the again the atmosphere. It yeah. paints a picture for me imagining walking out in a in a dark cold night, right? In the crunching of the snow below my feet, and just that coldness and loneliness that sometimes that that has it, and it helps me as an actor just really launch that scene. Yeah. 
Well, one thing, because as you, as you talked about, you have this very direct uh, relationship with the audience. I imagine that you're getting more from them than often is the case where actors tend to get very cued into laughter, of course, but maybe not as much other things. What do you see as you look out at the audience in different nights? Sometimes I don't even see. I mean, it's just, it's a, you, you can't see with the lights. It's just, uh-huh. it's just little oval dots. <laughs> you know, I really, you can't pick so up So it's people. not that you're actually eye to eye with the audience. No. no we but put our gaze above their, their heads. Uh-huh. Um, I would say Some that. Some of us don't. <laughs> Johnny, come on. Um, when the lights come up when we do the jingles and we do the audiograms, then we make direct right. contact with right. the audience if we can. And that's when you can see the red eyes and the yeah. sniffling oh, noses. Oh, the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's powerful. You can see everyone wiping away their tears. One of the things I, I loved those audiograms, which is where the audience is given an opportunity before the show to send messages to each other. And of course, you know, it's kind of silly. We're in the same room together. And yet... People who aren't part of the relationship that's being referred to get this great insight, you know, to grandma, blah, blah, blah. And some of them are very elaborate and well-written. I have to think that people came knowing it was going to happen. Do you have a lot of repeat audience members, do you think? Absolutely. They bring their families. They'll come maybe the first time with um, a friend, and then the next time they say, I'm bringing my mom. She's going to love this. And the next year they come back, and now they have eight family members with them. And each time I think – repeat audiogram people who come again they get better at writing them. yeah and i have to choose them and i have to make sure that they're appropriate for the era so right sort of nothing dirty and nothing uh, modern day um i would say probably our most unexpected audiogram ever has been an actual marriage proposal and uh, johnny delivered <laughs> that, that. Yeah. yeah johnny delivered that and i had and to ask her if she wanted to accept it that. <laughs> <laughs> that was she a did. chilling was moment amazing. in the theater <laughs> yeah, it was incredible everyone just whooped it up wow excited well, for a couple. well i could see that happening because something that you do and i can't quite explain it but from really early on like the first minute or two you're getting audience participation that's more sort of generous and comfortable than uh, most shows I see where there's an effort made to bring the audience in. And some of it may be that people come back knowing what it is and wanting to do that. But we're singing carols all together yeah. in the first, you know. I think it's because we're goofy. Uh-huh. I'm being dead <laughs> yes. serious. I yeah. just think yeah. myself as an audience member, I don't like participating. However, there's just something about everyone being so authentic and true and goofy and not worrying if you're singing on pitch just have the spirit that makes people feel um that they can join in with us and it's no one's gonna look down oh also the down the bouncing ball on the words that is actually really (laughs) fun and i think helps so well i really appreciate your coming to talk and sound effect for me um and it's a it really is a, a lovely show and even if you've seen the movie a lot of times i think it's um it's different it it brings a different level to it that's quite fun thanks so much thank Thank you you very much much.